Good morning, church family. Everybody doing all right? Excellent. My name is Derek. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. We're ready for uh, getting into the Gospel of Mark. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 21 here in a moment. Mark chapter 15, verse 21. And uh, there, will be, there is no better passage we could find ourselves in. If that's our goal in teaching the word around here is to be reminded of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us, we could not find ourselves in a better uh, passage. As you know, we're in a series, of passage, uh, a series of teaching that we're calling the God-man, Jesus fully God, fully man. And uh, we have taught our way through the gospel of Mark, the book in our Bibles that's a story of the life and ministry of Jesus. And, uh, and now we find ourselves, uh, in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, we find ourselves really in Easter week. It, it may not be Easter week on our calendar yet, but as we study God's Bible, uh, study God's Word these weeks, we find ourselves in the last week of, of Jesus' earthly journey, um, and we come this morning to his crucifixion and death. So let's pray. Lord, we need you. I am reminded every day, and I am reminded very often of my need for you. Lord, we, uh, we fall short, we go against you. Uh, Lord, we need forgiveness. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open your word this morning, God, I pray for myself and for others in the room, that our hearts and our minds would be open to what you want to teach us this morning, that you would help us be aware of how much we need you, how much, uh, how much you desire to pour out your grace and love, rescuing us, bringing us to new life, and transforming our lives in an ongoing way as well. So God, we, we look to you now. Speak to us, teach us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 15. Starting at verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry Jesus' cross. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Throughout our study of the book of Mark, uh, Mark uses an, there's an economy of words. Mark tells a lot of stuff in a relatively short, concise number of words. And here we come to what is the pivot point of all of human history. We come to the most significant thing that ever has and ever will happen. We come to the, the very core center of the gospel. We come to the event by which God is making a way for sinners to be made right with him. And Mark uses an economy of words and says, they crucified him. 
But Mark's original audience would have been well familiar with crucifixion, and many of you are familiar by now with this brutal method of execution where uh, though he had done nothing wrong, though he had done nothing deserving of death, though in fact Jesus being fully God and fully man was completely without sin, willingly went to the cross for us, and this brutal method of execution would have included a nail through each hand to the cross and feet crossed in front of one another so that a nail could go through the feet. And in verse 24, Mark writes, they crucified him. And they divided Jesus' garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each of them should take. And it was the third hour. This is an expression that means 9 a.m. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who had destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days... Save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from that cross that we may see and believe. Those that were crucified with him also reviled him. The mockers here say, Save yourself to Jesus. And perhaps that's given you pause at some point. It's given me pause before. Yeah. Yeah, save yourself, Jesus. What's the deal here? Aren't, haven't we been studying for weeks and saying that Jesus is the God-man, fully human, and yet fully God? So, yeah, Jesus... Save yourself. This sounds awful. Why does Jesus need to die? Why is he nailed there willingly? The mockers say he saved others. He cannot save himself. But think about what's happening. They say he can't, they say he can't, that he saved others. He cannot save himself. Yet it's precisely to save others that Jesus willingly, intentionally chooses not to save himself. The mockers say, come down off that cross so that we can see and believe. But let's be reminded this morning, friends, that God's rescue plan for all of us has something even better in mind than Jesus coming down at this point in the story. Let's remind ourselves that God's perfect rescue plan has something even better in store that will provide proof of Jesus' identity, that will make it unmistakable that Jesus is Son of God, the God-man. God's perfect rescue plan has something Amazing, incredible, 
and beyond our imagination in store for some, something that will cause people to see and believe. Because while we don't get to it in our passage this morning, we must know that coming soon is the victorious resurrection from the dead. God has in mind something to be seen and believed. Verse 33. And when the sixth hour, noon, had come, Jesus still there hanging on the cross three hours later, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. So we have three hours of darkness over the whole land. Now, uh, this is a little bit of a side note, but I found it interesting, so perhaps some of you will. I think sometimes we study our Bibles and we read about certain events in our Bibles and then it would be convenient and helpful to us if we could come up with an explanation for it. You with me? It just told us that there is darkness over the land from noon to 3 p.m. And you and I, perhaps, maybe not all of you, would prefer to go, I know it was a solar eclipse. Because that would explain it. But there's a note right in my ESV study Bible that says, it's not a solar eclipse. Solar eclipse can only happen during a new moon. And we know this week in Jesus' life was the Passover week and Passover occurred during a full moon. This is not a solar eclipse. This is a supernatural act of God to display his feelings about the crucifixion of his son. Verse 34. And and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. One side note. You want to know uh, the secret to pronouncing difficult Bible words? Just give it a shot and pretend like you know what you're doing. That'll help any of you in Bible study or in class or whatever. You know, if they ask you to read and you're a little hesitant, right? You get to a word, you get to a city, you get to somebody's name, and it's, you know, from thousands of years ago. You just read it real fast and act like you know what you're doing. Trust me, man, it works great. I got a seminary education to come to that conclusion. All right. Still good, to, still good to laugh, even in the middle of this passage, okay? This is big stuff. But God is with us. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. His words had sounded similar. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Jesus was crucified and died. But the cross is no accident. 
Jesus' death is no surprise. This didn't catch God unaware. This isn't evil and, and sin spinning out of God's control. This isn't God saying, oops, didn't mean for that to happen. The cross is no accident. The death of Jesus is no surprise, but rather God's perfect plan to rescue sinful you and me from sin and death and make it possible for sinful you and me to be in relationship the children of our great and creator God. Jesus was crucified and he died. And it's part of God's plan. I think it's interesting for us though, to, to, we, we need to wrestle with this a little more this morning. It's interesting and important for us to consider further, why? Why did Jesus have to die? Save yourself. Jesus, just come down. It sounds a lot easier for you. Sounds a lot more comfortable. Sounds a lot less sad for us. So why does Jesus need to die? I want you to uh, take a look at this brief video. We all long for the world to be good, for people to live in peace, act with love and justice. But there's a problem. Something compels us humans to constantly wreak havoc and destruction instead, and we call this evil. And from the Bible's point of view, evil ruins things in at least two ways. There's a direct effect of our evil, like when someone steals from another person, they've created injustice. Hey. Yeah, therefore, you know, they owe something to make it right. But there's another indirect effect of evil, because they've also ruined the environment of the relationship, creating a lack of trust, there's emotional damage. It's like vandalism, and they need to make that right, too. Now, many people believe, hey, God is good. He should be the one to just get rid of all the evil in the world. But let's be honest. I mean, the evil that I see everywhere out there, it's the same evil that's inside of me. We have all contributed, and, and we keep doing it. And so this kind of puts us in a bind. If God's going to rid the world of evil, he'll have to get rid of us. And this is what's so remarkable about the story of the Bible. This God is so good that not only is he going to rid the world of evil, he's going to do it without destroying humanity. So how is he going to do that? Well, early in the story of the Bible, we're introduced to this practice of animal sacrifice, which I know, it seems weird to us, but for the Israelites, it was a very powerful symbol of God's justice and of his grace. So remember, I'm a contributor to the evil that's in the world. I should be removed. But God is allowing this animal's life to be a substitute. It's symbolically dying in my place. And the biblical word for this is atonement, which means to cover over someone's death. But there's a second part to this ritual. Remember, evil also causes this relational vandalism. And in the Bible, this idea is described as polluting or defiling the land and making it unclean. So the priest would symbolically wash away the vandalism by sprinkling the animal's blood in different parts of the temple. So the animal's blood is cleaning things? Well, remember, this is a symbol, and it's a symbol that we're not used to. The blood represents life. And the sprinkling of the blood is this representation of how God is cleaning away these indirect consequences of evil in their community. In the Bible, this process is called purification. 
And so the temple and the land now become a clean space where God and his people can live together in peace. So this ritual makes things right between Israel and God. And more than that, the Israelites experience God's love and his grace through these symbols. And by being forgiven, ideally, this would compel them to become people of love and grace too. Right, that's the ideal, but it wasn't always happening. Right. So the prophet Isaiah, for example, he talks a lot about this. He opens his book by saying that the continual sacrifices of the Israelites had become meaningless because they were also allowing great evil in their midst, ignoring the poor and the oppressed. Even the Israelite kings were distorting justice. But Isaiah looked forward to a day when a new king from the line of David would come and deal with evil, but in a surprising way. The king would become a servant. And not just serve, but also suffer and die for the evil committed by his own people. And his life would be offered as a sacrifice. And this is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. We're going to see the rest of that video here in just a few minutes, and I hope you'll find it helpful. I've mentioned these before, but it's a great resource. Uh, A ministry called The Bible Project is doing these videos, and you can go on YouTube and just search for Bible Project, and there's just tons of great material that I hope you'll find helpful. Grab, uh, if you've got your Bibles with you still, open, uh, let's flip over to Romans chapter 3, if you would. Um, We're going to leave Mark, take a right turn in your Bible, a couple of books. What do we got? Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So turn right, three or four books, turn to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to take just a couple of minutes to look at another passage here as we think about this. Why did Jesus need to die? And as we looked in the, uh, the video there and learned about the need for atonement, turn to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 23. And you heard in the video, we were reminded in the video that we contribute to the evil in the world, that all of us in our sin and rebellion against God contribute to the evil in the world. And we, we, that's where we really pick this up in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by God's grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption, the buying back, the purchasing that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation is a word that means that Jesus' blood satisfied or appeased God's wrath against sin. God is holy and perfect and perfectly just, and so God must deal with sin and rebellion against him. And so God's wrath is, is what is deser- our sin is deserving. Our rebellion against God is deserving of God's wrath, of, of punishment. For it, But the Bible there in Romans 3.23 says that God put forward his son and as, a, as a propitiation by his blood. So this propitiation is meaning that, again, that Jesus' blood, his death, is satisfying, is appeasing God's wrath against sin so that we could instead receive favor. 
instead of receiving wrath, so that we can receive favor, forgiveness, rescue. This is, this is an incredible section of Scripture, the whole beginning chapters of Romans, all of Romans. Romans chapter 3, reminding us so clearly that salvation, that our justification, that being made right with God, that sinful you and me being even possible, being even able to be in relationship with a holy and perfect God is a gift of God, not something that we do, not something that we earn, not something that we strive for. We see in these verses and are reminded of some significant truths that salvation comes by grace alone. And we receive it through faith alone. In who? In Christ alone. That salvation, being made right with God, comes by God's grace. It is a gift. We receive it through faith. We don't receive it by earning, by matching up, by a checklist of religious things, by being a good person, by hoping for the best, by hoping there's something better in store after this earth. Salvation comes by God's grace. It is a gift alone. We receive it through faith alone, which is entrusting ourselves to God, which is surrendering our will to his, which is by faith, trust, giving our lives to him, asking him to lead and guide us instead of ourselves. And of course, that faith must be put in Christ alone. And we continue there in Romans 3, verse 25. This was to show God's righteousness, his holiness, his justice, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. See, the question that's going on here for us and what's being addressed in in Romans 3, the question is, how can God be holy, perfect, without sin? How can God be perfectly holy and perfectly just against sin and at the same time somehow overlook our sin? How can can God be perfectly holy and just and yet somehow not inflict punishment that we are due? That's the question here. The why did Jesus need to die? How can God really, if he's holy and perfect and just and he has to act justly against sin and rebellion against himself, how is it possible for him to be both that and yet and not, and not punish us for our sin? Because God looked forward to the cross. Because God's plan from before the foundations of the world was to rescue a people, to call a people to himself. And God looked forward to the events of the cross so that he could be both just and justifier and the one that makes us right. And that's where that verse 26 continues. Verse 26, Romans 3, it was to show his righteousness at the present time, verse 26, so that God, this is incredible. Try to, let's, let's think about this for a second. This is incredible. Look at what verse 26 says. This is God's act here, putting forth Jesus as a propitiation, as a sacrifice for our sins to appease God's wrath. He did that, verse 26, so that God might be both just and the justifier, and the one who makes right, the one who trusts in Jesus. 
The cross is the, is the way to do that. Why did Jesus need to die is answered as we look to the cross. Because God is both perfectly holy and just and, and needs to pour out his wrath and punishment against sin. And he does that at the cross. And yet you and I don't receive the punishment, the penalty that we are due because Jesus takes it upon himself at the cross. And the group of the, the theology here, I want us to see clearly, uh, we'll put on the screen here, is, a, is a, an aspect of our statement of faith, the things that we as a church hold to be true. The, these are things that the group of churches of which we are a part believe and that we follow. Let's go to this slide, there we go. Let's read this aloud together. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. I always think when we do, when, you know, anytime any group of people does a group reading in order to stay together, which is important, but it also ends up coming out a little monotonous and dull. So let's read it again together and read it for the good news that it is, okay? Okay, let's try that again. We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. His atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. Amen. Let's, re- let's uh, watch the rest of that video. This is the promise Jesus believed he was fulfilling. He's the king of Israel suffering and dying on the cross. In fact, Jesus himself used Isaiah's words when he said that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And that word ransom refers to a sacrifice of atonement. And so all over the New Testament, we hear about how Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice for us. It covered the debt that humans owe God for contributing to all of the evil and death in his world. But the New Testament authors also talk about Jesus' death as providing purification. And so we hear about Jesus' blood as a symbol of his life, having this ability to wash away the vandalism that evil has caused in us and around us so we can now live at peace with God. So that's the meaning behind Jesus' death. But there's more to the story. Yeah, the New Testament makes this powerful claim that Jesus' death was not final. He rose from the dead. And so he's the sacrifice who broke the power of death and evil which means that he lives on to offer his life to anyone who will accept it. He is the perfect sacrifice to which all the previous sacrifices were pointing all along. So because of Jesus, the early Christians stopped participating in the ritual of animal sacrifice. But they were given new rituals. There are two that Jesus taught his followers to perform. The first is called baptism. Just as Jesus died, so going into the water becomes this personal connection you now have to his death. And in coming out of the water, you, so to speak, come back to life with Jesus. So baptism is the sacred ritual that joins your story to Jesus' death and his resurrection. The second ritual is called the Lord's Supper. 
which is a reenactment of Jesus' last meal with his disciples. And he used bread and wine to portray his coming death as a sacrifice. And so now, followers of Jesus, they take the bread and the cup regularly to remember and to participate in the power of Jesus' death and in his life. So these rituals, they remind us of God's love and encourage us to live a life of love and grace. But they do more than that. They connect us to a new life source. The very power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the same power that can deal with the evil in our own lives and transform us into people who lead lives of love and peace. That video is rich. It is chock full of interesting stuff. So um, I had to watch it several times this week. (laughs) And then I gave you only one shot at it. So we'll post that on Facebook and on Instagram later today so that you'll be able to take a look at it again if you want. Um, But... uh, but the end of that video is, is good timing for us intentionally because we want to talk about baptism and about the Lord's Supper a little bit this morning. Let me put on the screen, this is another couple sentences from our um, statement of faith again, and, uh, and I'll read it here. The Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Listen to this description of baptism and the Lord's Supper. They visibly and tangibly express the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has made a way for sinners to be made right with God, right? Through the cross is what we've been talking about. So the, so the Lord Jesus mandated two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They visibly and tangibly express or demonstrate the gospel. Though they are not the means of salvation, Taking in the Lord's Supper, as we'll do in a few moments, getting dunked in the water, that's not how you get made right with Jesus. That's not how you are saved. That's not how you cross from death to life. Though they are not means of salvation, when they are celebrated by the church in genuine faith, these ordinances confirm and nourish the believer. And I love what the video said, that they connect us to the story of God that as we practice these together, they connect us with God's rescuing activity through the cross. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you have already been saved from your sin, forgiven, made right. You've crossed out of darkness and into the light, out out of sin and death into new life. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted him, that's it, you're saved. So then why be baptized? And if you are a follower of Jesus who has not been baptized, I urge you to consider. Come talk to us here soon or next Sunday. You can talk to Pastor Ed at that meeting. There's information in your bulletin. If you're a follower of Jesus who has never been baptized, this is so significant for you to proclaim publicly, I am a follower of Jesus and I'm giving my life to following him. And and baptism, what we read up on the screen, it visibly and tangibly expresses the gospel. Look at this. If you are baptized, you are taken under the water, signifying, identifying with the burial of Jesus, with his death, and then, uh, and then relating to and identifying with his resurrection to new life. And so just as J- Romans 6 says, just as Jesus was raised to new life, you and I are raised to newness of life. And so baptism is a picture of what God has done in our heart. And so uh, I would love to see you be baptized if you haven't already been. And then, of course, in a couple minutes, we'll be able to remember the cross, to 
remember and reflect on Jesus' sacrifice for us as you come to the tables and take of the bread and the cup. We will have an opportunity to express the gospel in that way too, with the bread and the cup signifying the body and blood, reminding us of the cross. So both baptism and the Lord's Supper express the gospel. They demonstrate the good news of what God has done for us through Christ. And so why did Jesus willingly go to the cross? I love Romans 3:26. Why did Jesus go willingly to the cross, intentionally to the cross? So that God might be both just and our justifier at the same time. Father God, we are all too aware this morning, once again, of our need for you. Father God, I pray that I would be aware of, of my sinfulness, my rebellion against you. God, I pray for, uh, for you to help us all to see how much we need you. And Father, we, as we come to you in prayer, we are so thankful for the privilege that you have given us of talking to you. We lift our eyes to you, O God, the creator of all things, on high, majestic, mighty, powerful, all-knowing, heavenly Father. We lift our eyes to you. We worship you. God, we thank you that you do not just stay removed and far away and on high, but you have come near to us, that you want to know us, and that you desire to love us and rescue us. So God, again, we we need that because we are hurting and broken and sinful people in need of your forgiveness. And you don't leave us there, God. We thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that Jesus, the God-man, lived and died and was raised to life again so that we, by faith in him, might receive new life too. So God, I pray for, for those in this room that are hearing from you, that are studying your word, studying the Bible this morning. God, I pray that we would respond to you, that we would put our faith in you, our representative and our substitute who went to the cross for us. God, I pray that we would respond to you, remembering this morning as we receive the Lord's Supper, remembering your once for all, all-sufficient sacrifice on the cross. Father God, thank you that Jesus did come as king. Even if he didn't come as the king that was expected, God, we thank you for the king that he was and is. We thank you that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many so that we could be made right with you. God, we thank you for your gift of grace that we receive through Jesus by faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.